Okay, so um, finally we've got to the New Testament um, after many weeks. Um, and it's tempting to think, when you get to the, to the New Testament, it's tempting to think we're, we're starting a whole new, almost like a whole new story. So where you've got a, 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 an Old Testament organised as um, Christians tend to that ends in Malachi, or an Old Testament organised in the order Jesus would have had it organised. He obviously didn't call it the Old Testament, it was just the Testament, just the one, but um, uh, which ended in two chronicles. Either way, um, m- many Christians function as if, well, we're beginning something totally different now when you turn the page from Malachi um, to Matthew. But actually, God's story, this is what I, I hope we've, we're sort of seeing, God's story is one, and much of the New Testament won't make sense without the Old Testament. Um, so we're going to look at the Gospels, and the Gospels, in many ways, are the last books of the Old Testament. Um, th- think about w- what's going on in the days that Jesus walks on earth. Which, which covenant is still in place? Well, it's a covenant with Moses, isn't it? It's still the laws about not eating you know, prawns and not allowed to eat pork. The temple is still standing. The sacrifice is still going. So in the, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels are in many ways still part of what you might call the Old Testament. Uh, as we left Judah, as we left the story, we left it in a kind of... It was a bit kind of, you know, uh, like, uh, is it, it, did it end on a high? Did it end on a low? What happened? Do you remember Judah had been taken into exile? So the southern kingdom had been taken into exile. They had all these promises. There was going to be a new covenant, that the spirit was going to be poured out. There was going to be a new temple. There was going to be a new exodus. All these wonderful promises. Uh, and they'd sort of been fulfilled, but not really very well. Uh, so... The people of, of God had left Judah and gone back to Israel, gone back to, to sorry, had left Babylon where they were in exile and then um, been taken for 70 years. Remember Jeremiah's prophecy of the last 70 years? That 70 years was up and they'd gone back physically to the land. Cyrus, the, the Persian emperor, had said, You can start building the, uh, the temple. And one of his sons had said, Well, you can build the, the city of Jerusalem as well. And they had done. Ezra and Nehemiah told us they built up the temple again. And it was literally there. There was a temple standing, a city. But it, it, it was a bit underwhelming. You might remember in, um, as the, uh, in, in um, Ezra and Nehemiah, as the sort of older people look at it, they just cry. So this is, is this it? Um, all these prophecies, is this it? It's not, nothing like the glory days uh, that we had beforehand. And certainly, this idea of the Messiah coming, the new king, there was, no, there was no Davidic king on the throne. So we turn the pages to the New Testament and meet King Herod. King Herod, although he's ruling over the, the land we know, um, the, you know, the promised land or much of it, um, Herod the Great, the one who kills all the babies in, in Bethlehem, um, he, he is not in that Davidic line. Okay, he's an imposter. He's, half, he's, a, he's an Edomite, so he's a sort of half-Jew at best. Um, he's just there because he's um, in favour with the Romans. So even the Jews themselves, and, and we all kind of know this, you get taught in Sunday school, don't you? even the Jews themselves sort of know, it's not, we're not quite there yet. I remember being taught, as a, um, you know, you, the Jews were looking for a, a political Messiah to come and destroy the Romans. And that, that, that sense, even in Judaism, that, yeah, sort of, but not really, um, is, the, is the kind of tone that the Old Testament finishes in. So, 
Uh, with that in mind, let's, uh, let's dive into the new. We're going to think about the Gospels today, the story, uh, and then maybe just have probably just one more session uh, in this whole overview series. Um, look at Matthew 1. Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. And imagine that that page isn't there. That, sorry, that in-between page. So I've got a page in my Bible, blank page that kind of separates the two off. Imagine it's not there. Tear it out of your Bibles kind of thing. Where do we go? Well, if we'd finished with two Chronicles, okay, the order that Jesus' Jesus' Bible was in, we'd ended with that book full of genealogies. Remember, two Chronicles full of, you know, Adam, son of, and off we went. We go straight into another genealogy. And we read about the genealogy, the beginning, the book of the, the, the Genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Straight away, Matthew... If you're totally new to the New Testament, that is a really dull way to open a book, isn't it? Um, if you don't know anything about the Old Testament, then reading the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Jacob, that, that is not a gripping way to begin a story. But if you know the Old Testament, then the two, two of the greatest characters, Abraham and David, Abraham highlights the promises the land that's going to be given to him, the many descendants, God's blessing with him. David, the kingship. One of David's kings is going to rule forever. Both these sort of sets of promises are going to find their fulfillment in Jesus, says Matthew. He's going to inherit the promises of Abraham and the throne of David. At the same time, if you flick on to Luke, we're going to spend most of our time in Luke today. So just come on to Luke. At the same time as Matthew is wanting to say, look, All that Old Testament story is going to find its fulfilment in Jesus. Luke wants to go even further back. Uh, We're going to skip the the birth narrative, Christmas story, well known. But Luke Luke 3, the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Uh, Luke 3, Jesus has now grown up. And we begin with John the Baptist. We could have done the same thing in Mark, but for the sake of time, we'll just just do Luke. Uh, verse 3, this is John the Baptist, he goes to the wilderness. Verse 3, he went into all the region around the Jordan. Okay, so he was out there in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall become straight, the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation uh, of God. That the ministry of Jesus, the public ministry of Jesus, begins with John the Baptist and that Isaiah promise. Remember that promise of a new Exodus? I would have said probably two. I think it's two weeks ago. Isaiah said one day there's going to be this totally um, uh, sort of groundbreaking, earth-shattering Exodus. It'll be way bigger than the first one, and that 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 prophecy is what what John the Baptist is quoting there. Um, prepare the way of the Lord. A new Exodus is on the way with Jesus. Uh, what's going to happen? Um, not read the whole thing. Let's jump to uh, verse 16. There you go. Verse 16 of chapter 3. Uh, John answered them all saying, I'm baptising you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So with this new exodus, 
everyone's going to see God and his salvation, verse 6. But then in verse 16, we're also going to see the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because this, this king is coming, this spirit-filled son of God king. And from there, uh, verse 21 through 23, we go straight into the baptism of Jesus. Now when all the people were baptised, and when Jesus also had been baptised and was praying, the heavens were opened, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, my beloved son, sorry, with you I'm well pleased. We get heaven's approval, this is my son. So we've got an exodus, we've got a spirit baptism, we've got the son of God turning up, just like Ezekiel uh, promised. In case we think, well, this is just a Jewish thing, from there we go straight into this uh, Luke genealogy, which is different from, from, from Matthew's. Matthew's, remember, began with David uh, and Abraham. If you chase, chase through um, uh, Luke's, which I'm definitely not going to read, um, it goes all the way up. If you look at the end of chapter 3, it starts with Jesus, walks all the way through, up the generations, and ends with uh, Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So Luke is saying this is going to be for the whole world. Matthew has a sort of Jew- Jewish focus, but Luke says, no, this is a second Adam. This is going to be for the whole world, this exodus, this pouring out of the spirit, this king. This is not just going to be an Israelite thing or a Jewish thing. Um, so let's do some discussion around tables. Have a look at Luke 4. So we've just had that genealogy. Here is a new Adam. Have a read of Luke 4, 1 to 13, the temptations. Two, two questions. Hope you read some simple. How does each temptation echo those of the first Adam in Eden? Okay, so think about what's, what, what Satan is trying to get Adam to do, uh, sorry, Jesus to do. How is that like what he tried to get Adam, Adam and Eve to do to start with? And how does that help us understand what Satan is trying to do here? Okay, what is Satan trying to do in this temptation incident? Just five minutes or so, round tables, have a go at those two questions. Okay. Let's come back together because you're going to do another discussion in a moment. Um, so hopefully you've seen that the, the, the temptations are at the very least sort of resonant they, they echo what was going on with the first Adam in Eden so um, what order? they're in a different order in Luke and Matthew so uh, Luke we start with the bread don't we so take this food that isn't you know has been put off limits to you so there's a kind of food one going on there uh, what's the second one in Luke um bow down to me so very obviously you know instead of lord your god turn to to me satan i will give you all the, the kings of the earth and then um throw yourself off the building you definitely won't die okay just like the serpent said you know you won't die you take that food so they're deliberate they're not exactly the same but they're deliberately echoing um and part of that is showing us that this is not just um it's not a lesson on how to resist the devil or something by storing the word of god in your heart although that is a good lesson to draw from it but it's showing it's something much more kind of cosmic, much more important is going on. This is that the second Adam coming to rescue um, his people where the first Adam failed. Obviously, it's much harder for Jesus. Adam was in this beautiful garden. Jesus is in the desert. Adam had everything going for him. Um, uh, a, you know, a perfect world, no sin. Everything was for him. Jesus is in a, a broken, uh, sin-filled world. Um, but thankfully Jesus stands where Adam fell and there's even something about parallel going on I don't know if you notice how each temptation begins if you are the son of God that, 
right back in Eden, basically Satan's tactic was, look, God's not really for you. Okay, you're not really his beloved child. Okay, life would be much better if you, you moved away from him and towards me or towards yourself. And it's the same thing here. You know, if you're really the son of God, you really think God loves you? You really think you're... Now, that's just what Jesus has been told. You are my beloved son in the baptism. What's just happened? Voice from heaven, you are my beloved son. And to say, just say, is it, is it, did God really say you're his son? Are you, re- are you really the beloved son? It's kind of this doubting of God's goodness uh, to him. Uh, Jesus, of course, stands strong. And this, this begins his ministry, his baptism, the temptations, and then his anointing uh, at Nazareth begin his public ministry. So uh, on in, in Luke 4, uh, Jesus explains essentially what's just happened to him with the baptism uh, in particular, the pouring out of the Spirit. So he goes to the, Luke 4 verse uh, 16, he goes to, to Nazareth, goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as it was custom. He stood up to read, he reads from Isaiah, he unrolls the scroll and he reads from Isaiah again. See all these Old Testament themes and prophecies being woven into Jesus' ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Uh, anoint is the, the Christ word. So anoint, Messiah, Christ, same word, three different languages. Messiah is Hebrew, Christ is Greek, anoint is English, obviously. Um, so you could say the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has messiahed me or he has Christed me. When the Spirit was poured upon Jesus, it was like his coronation to be the, the Christ, the Messiah. We're going to think about this a bit later, actually, in the service. But the anointed ones in the Old Testament, the ones who had oil poured on them, who were anointed were the prophets, the priests and the kings. And Jesus is saying, look, my ministry is going to be uh, the fulfilment of all that they did in the Old Testament. I'm going to be a king. And so I'm going to set people free. Verse 18, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Okay, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. I'm going to be a king. I'm going to be a prophet. I'm going to proclaim good news to the poor. And he's, of course, going to be a priest too to bring cleansing and forgiveness. And all the way through his ministry, Jesus is always acting as prophet, priest, and king. So the, the, pretty much the first miracle he does after that is the, the cleansing of the demon. Uh, chapter 4, verse 31. Uh, he, he, he meets this uh, demon-possessed man. So uh, let's go from verse 33. In the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice. Ah, what have you come to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon came out of him, uh, sorry, had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Is Jesus acting there as a prophet, priest or a king? Prophet, priest or king? Well, there's a focus on authority, isn't there? Look at the authority of his word, the crowd say. He conquers the evil spirit. So he's a king. But he's also a, a prophet. There's a focus on his, on his word. What is this word? It is with a word that he drives out the demon. Doesn't touch him, doesn't do any weird ritual, doesn't anoint him with sort of strange oil or whatever you get in the sort of horror movies. But rather, verse 35, just speaks. Be silent, come out of it. It's the power of his word that is being demonstrated. So he's a king and a prophet. But he's also a priest. What is the problem with this man? He has an unclean demon, an unclean spirit. Cleanliness is all about 
um, holiness, whether you're allowed in or out of God's presence in the temple. And this man is, um, he's not just set free. Here's a captive being set free like a king would do who conquers and sets free prisoners from his, his country. He's been captured by the enemy. He's also being cleansed, which is priestly work. So even in this first miracle after his, his anointing and his sermon, Jesus acts as prophet, priest and king. And everything he does is always as prophet, priest and king. Bringing a little foretaste of what it would be like to be in his kingdom. The miracles aren't just showing off. Um, they are they're giving you a little... It's almost like... Imagine the sort of whole scene was black and white and everywhere Jesus walks, it goes colour for a little bit. Um, and that the smells come back. And otherwise the world is dull and dying and dead and stony. But he comes and life comes. Wine comes. Food comes. Healing comes. Restoration comes. Life comes, basically. But of course... He's wandering around, so it doesn't, it doesn't stay. You know, he moves on, and then the people, the next people who get ill die. The next people who don't have enough food starve. Uh, the next blind people stay blind. Uh, and so he, he's building. He's obviously building something greater. Uh, as the story goes on, he chooses 12 disciples to follow him around, 12 disciples to match the 12 tribes of Israel. He's going to build a new Israel, a new people, uh, who can live in this kingdom. And halfway through the gospel, we get the, the transfiguration. Remember that strange instant where Jesus goes up the mountain and, and becomes sort of dazzlingly white? Uh, come to Luke 9. Luke 9. So, up. Up the mountain, Jesus goes. Moses, verse 30, Moses and Elijah appear to him. And they speak, verse 31, of his departure. Literally, I mean, the ESV's got a footnote. His exodus. My exodus is coming to Jesus. It's exodus time. Uh, We're nearly at that great exodus that Isaiah prophesied, Jesus is saying. What do we expect with an exodus? We expect a Passover. That's what begins the exodus, isn't it? In Egypt, the Passover lamb, blood over the doorway. That's what begins the exodus. And we expect a Red Sea crossing, a kind of cleansing. Uh, those are the two sort of main elements of the exodus before the people of God uh, are rescued uh, and safe. And where do we go from there? Well, unsurprisingly, we go to the cross where Jesus, the Lamb of God, is crucified. He's crucified at Passover, isn't he? All the Gospels make a big deal of this. He dies at Passover. Because he is the true Passover lamb I put on sheet there. 1 Corinthians 5. Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Here is a, a worldwide Passover. Not just for, for the, the Jewish people, but for the entire world. And, and we're still waiting, therefore, for a, at this stage, with, with the, um, the crucifixion, we're still waiting for a Red Sea crossing, a cleansing. So hold on to that thought. But you're going to do another discussion first. Um, so he dies, he rises again. Uh, and announced that all authority has been given to him. Given to him because he's now the human king that creation has been waiting for. Of course, as God, he always had all authority. No one gives God authority. But he's speaking as man. I'm now the king, the resurrected king, who's inherited Adam's throne. And indeed, David's throne. All authority is mine. Now go make disciples of all nations. This whole world is going to be transformed back into what it should have been under my authority uh, as your prophet, priest, and king. And so he sends the disciples out, the 12 tribes... Many of the twelve get sent out uh, to teach and baptize. The ministry of the church: word, teach, and baptize. Sacrament. 
um, go and plant churches, in other words. Matthew 28 isn't just a passage. It's not saying just go and do loads of evangelism. Um, it's really saying go plant churches, word uh, and sacrament. So we're just going to end in, in Acts. Come on to Acts. Acts 1. Hey guys, Josh, do you mind just putting the table over a bit so we can get a bit more space in? Thanks. So, Acts 1. Um, Jesus died, risen. He spent 40 days with them. Uh, and his words to the disciples before he goes. Uh, he tells them, verse uh, 4, stay in Jerusalem. Verse 5, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Soon you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Well, here is the washing that we've been waiting for, the Red Sea crossing, the, the washing of the people of God. The Passover lamb has died. Here is the pouring out uh, of the cleansing waters of the Spirit. Uh, verse 6, so when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the capital city, Judea, the, the country, Samaria, I mean, that's the northern tribes that are now kind of very much half Jewish at best, and to the ends of the earth, the Gentiles. And with that, verse 9, he ascends. Uh, he goes up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So he goes on the cloud up into heaven. Remember Daniel's prophecy we looked at a few weeks ago? The Son of Man ascends before the Ancient of Days. The Son of Man comes on the clouds. This is the fulfillment. Here is Jesus going to take his throne at his Father's side. The ascension and the sessions, it's called. The sitting down of Jesus at the right hand of the Father, having come on the clouds of heaven, back to heaven. And he'll now ask the Father to give him all the nations. That's what Psalm 2 told us. Ask of me and I'll make the nations your inheritance. And so Jesus does. So he prophesies this, this baptism of the Spirit... And then Acts 2, uh, we get it. Let me read the passage, then just, you can have just a few minutes around tables to discuss it. Acts 2, they, they wait. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. It, tongue is a very confusing word because it makes us wonder what on earth a tongue is. But other languages, normal word for languages. Speaking other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Uh, now there were in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed, saying, aren't these all Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own language? And on they list them in Medes and Persians and Parthianites and all the rest of it. But we hear in our own language. So just round tables for a few minutes. Um, what are the strange phenomena you see in verses 1 to 3? And where have we seen those before in the Old Testament? So what's going on? And then what strange phenomena do we see in verses 4 to 8? And again, what, what Old Testament story is being reversed? So the two sets of straight, strange phenomena, basically what's going on with each? Okay, sorry, I'm going to have to bust in so we finish on time. I gave you too long for the first discussion. Um, there's absolutely loads going on at Pentecost. It's 
um, if, if you were sort of saying, oh, it's a bit like this, a bit like that, or you had different ideas, it may be you're all right. So um, a bit like loads of different Old Testament passages find their fulfilment at the cross. So the cross is the fulfilment of the Passover, you know, the lamb, blood, all the rest of it. It's also the fulfilment of the Day of Atonement. It's also the fulfilment of the Levitical sacrifices. You know, there's loads of different things the cross fulfills. So too with Pentecost. So you can think of Pentecost, the pouring out, the washing of God's people, as the fulfilment of the, the crossing of the Red Sea. So the Passover's the cross, bloodshed, and then they're washed at Pentecost. Um, just focusing on some of the sort of stranger signs and, and, and phenomena that happen. Uh, the first set, the wind, the fire, um, and the, the, all of this coming down and coming into the... Do you notice the, the, the language of um, they're all together in, in the, the, the house together? It all comes down and fills them. Um, I've lost the house, but anyway, it's in there somewhere. Um, it, it, the phenomena are like the, the glory cloud of God in the Old Testament. Remember, his cloud is fiery and this rushing wind, and, and it comes down and fills the tabernacle. He comes down and fills the temple. And here he is coming down and filling the New Testament temple, the, the church. Now on, the, the church is going to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. So it's a fulfillment of all those passages. Um, the whole of this Pentecost incident is the beginning of the new covenant. So the, the great day of the old covenant with Moses. What happened? Moses got the people of God, the 12 tribes together. He went up into the clouds at the top of Mount Sinai, went out of sight, couldn't see him, and then came down with the law of God. Uh, what happens in the, this day? Jesus goes up in the clouds out of sight, but what comes down is not the old covenant law carved on stone, but the spirit. And amazingly, remember what happened in the old covenant whilst Moses was up the mountain they made the golden calf there was all the idol worship and so 3,000 people end up dying because of their idolatry what happens to the new covenant Peter preaches and how many people are we told are saved that day lo and behold 3,000 so there's a very definite parallel between the, the old and the new covenant making days as it were but it's, it's going to be global this time not just Israel because all the, the nations are, are there these people are able to speak in foreign tongues. Tongues in the Bible, because of basically a 20th century phenomenon of the, the kind of charismatic movement, we hear tongues and think, oh, that must be something strange, like um, angelic languages or mystery. It's just the word for languages. So they speak. I mean, it literally explains what they are. They're speaking in other languages miraculously. So they haven't learned Parthian or Mede or Mesopotamian. It's a miracle, but they're speaking in other languages. So it's like the super, it's basically it's a bit like supernaturally suddenly you're able to speak fluent French or something like that, having never studied at school. Um, and that's what that's what these languages are throughout the rest of Acts as well, and in 1 Corinthians. Okay, it's nothing, they're not this sort of strange, yeah, other thing. So they're miraculous. But the point is the gospel's going to all nations. So Acts 1, verse 8, we saw Ju- uh, Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the, then all nations, the, the ends of the earth. That's what happens in the book of Acts. The gospel starts in Jerusalem. They go out to Judea, the country. In Acts 8, we get the first Samaritan converts. Acts 10, we get the first Gentiles, Cornelius, the Roman. Each time, it's a kind of mini Pentecost. It's never as big and spectacular as the first one. But each border that is crossed, you get some strange phenomena. But when, nor- when normal conversions happen, just sort of people, Philippian jailer comes to faith, whatever it may be, you don't get all these strange phenomena. It's only when one of the, the big three borders uh, are crossed. But from now on, this gospel, all those Old Testament promises are going to be not just for the Jews, but for everybody to the ends uh, of the earth. Uh, bit of a gallop. We're going to stop there. Let me pray. And we'll guess what it
Uh, Father in heaven, we um, come to you today in the name of Jesus and pray again that you pour your spirit upon us. Um, we need him for life. We need him for uh, hope, for faith, uh, for holiness. And so we ask in Jesus' name that you would uh, fill us again this morning uh, as we hear your word, uh, as we gather together, as we worship. Uh, bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.